and welcome to another episode of the Golden Era Podcast brought to you by the Polar Pro Studio. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and today's guest is Nate Luby, aka Nate in the Wild. Now, Nate has a huge following on Instagram and Twitter, but he is a working photographer doing all sorts of incredible nature, landscape, and wildlife photography. Nate is also a Sony ambassador, and in our conversation, we talk about his journey through photography over the last eight years, how he's been able to become one of the most respected wildlife photographers in the industry, and his relationship with Sony, working with them for the last four years and seeing the transition into mirrorless just taking off in the photography scene. Nate is mutual friends with a lot of other creators that we've had on this show. So if you enjoyed this episode and you enjoy Nate's work, then you may like some of our other interviews with similar creators such as Aaron Outdoors, Chris Romes, and our interview with Garrett King that we did over like a year, two years ago now. It's crazy. This show's been around forever. Zach Mayfield was out of town this week, so this episode is a little bit more standard, similar to how these interviews have been in the past. But no worries if you've enjoyed the last couple of episodes with the new format. We'll be back to normal next week when we have Zach and Connor join us again. But without any further ado, let's listen into my conversation with Nate in the Wild. So today we're here with Nate in the wild, aka Nate Luby. You're all the way out in, uh, I don't know, you're on mountain time. Where, where are you located right now, Nate? I uh, just moved to Salt Lake City, Utah, actually, awesome. uh, back in January, so it's only been a couple months. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Nate. It was actually our mutual friend Kyle Meshna that put us in touch on Twitter. You posted a tweet and said, uh, I love podcasts and would love to do more. Anybody have any suggestions? And thank you, Kyle, uh, for your suggestion. And Nate, we made it happen. Thank you for being on the show and for being willing to to join us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I I know it sounds kind of weird to say I love being on podcasts, but <laughs> they are kind of fun. My dad they was are. in radio my whole life, so it kind of feels, you know, oh, it's wow. got that like sentimental value, I guess. What was that like growing up with your dad on radio? What kind of like, what kind of station was it? He was, uh, he was in charge of a, a talk AM radio station. So nice. as a kid, it wasn't that interesting to me, you know, like <laughs> constantly had, you know, he didn't really love listening to like the political podcast or broadcasts, I guess I should say, but um that's what they would have on. So it was constantly going in our house. But as I grew up and I started to understand like the value of that to society, it was actually kind of cool. And yeah. there were some fun perks. Like we'd go to Broncos games and I could go into the broadcast booth with him and like eat meet <laughs> Ed McCaffrey or Brian Greasy or something, you know? Cool. Yeah. Those names uh, don't ring any bells for me, but I know that's some fine. people out there <laughs> had something to do with sports ball, I assume. Uh, yep. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. <laughs> you know, when I hear the word AM radio, I just think of hot rod. You you know the movie with Andy Samberg and there's the, <laughs> yeah. there's the guy that's like a diehard AM radio fan and he like really hates FM radio for taking over what the AM stations were in their heyday. <laughs> I love the idea of there being a rivalry between the two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, did he have a good voice, your dad? Did he have like a, a voice for radio, if you will? He did. Yeah, totally. And it was fun because every now and then we'd be like out at a restaurant and somebody would recognize him, but they'd never seen his face. Yeah. And there's there's something like very interesting about somebody recognizing a voice because your brain like can't figure out where this connection's coming from. Uh-huh. So, so people, like, yeah, they'd probably be like confused. Like, I know you somehow, but I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. Like you don't look familiar, but I feel like I know you. What's happening? <laughs> it was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> Could play along with that. I, I, totally. I would imagine even... Uh, 
I, I heard there was like a movie trailer guy and he would like at fast food restaurants do the movie trailer voice and freak people out. I think it's such a fun party trick if you're like a radio person like that. That's so cool. I would have so much fun with that. I probably couldn't be trusted with that power, to be honest. So, Nate, you're a, you're a photographer, a cinematographer, nature nerd. At least that's what your bio says on uh, Instagram. Um, <laughs> tell me about that. Walk me through your journey as a photographer and how you've uh, kind of gotten to this point. And then we can get into some of the nitty gritty details of uh, some of the fun projects you've worked on over the years. But just tell me about your journey as a photographer and a cinematographer. Yeah. Um, it was one of those careers that kind of like happened on accident. You know, I just uh, grew up in the mountains in Colorado, was constantly going out on hikes and camping. Uh, and then in college, you know, my friends and I it was like just the thing we would do on a on a Saturday, Sunday was mm-hmm. go out on a cool hike. And then uh, I think like a lot of people in our age group, phones started to get cameras in them. And yeah. so I always had a camera with me and I I got a little bit addicted to taking photos as we were on our hikes. And uh the the cameras got a little better and my photos got a little better. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is really enjoyable. So I bought myself a nice camera and uh, I just kind of like, I have this really bad habit of not having hobbies. I just have like <laughs> obsessive passions. And so I yeah. bought myself that nice camera. And then it was just like, the only thing I did was try to take better photos than I did the day before. And I guess when you're like practicing something every day, you kind of get pretty all right at it. And um, eventually I started like, actually selling photos which was sort of a surreal experience when I would earn money from like going on a hike kind of felt like the dream and so one thing led to another and here I am what was the uh because this is a polar pro podcast uh I'm all about the gear uh what was that first camera do you remember what it was I do yeah so the first camera was the Olympus OMD EM5 so like the first one of their little did you see this on my table here Oh, no, I actually can't quite make out what it says because of the resolution yeah, of Zoom the, here. But. Uh, I have, this is the Olympus EM1 Mark II, and then this is the oh, EM1 nice. Mark III. I am a diehard uh, Olympus fan. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, mine was the first generation of those little micro four-thirds mirrorless. Um, yeah. I'm probably like one of the few photographers who's never shot a DSLR. I've never had a flappy mirror in my cameras, which is kind <laughs> of fun. Flappy mirror. <laughs> <laughs> That's well well said indeed. I uh, I'm working currently with uh, a company and they shoot all DSLRs, uh, and they they still are just using old EF lenses and uh, DSLR cameras. And I keep telling them like, guys, this is a dead technology. Like, let's move on, you know. But th- there are yeah. people who are like diehard DSLR fans because of that mirror. You know, it's like there's obviously no lag when you're moving totally. the image around. There's always a slight millisecond delay uh, with an EVF, but it's just getting better and better uh, each year, obviously. So yeah, it totally is. I just got the new Sony A1, and honestly, it's like oh my god, you can't even tell it's electronic anymore. It's just it's yeah. almost too good. It's A1 so, and, sauce, if you will. <laughs> exactly. It is the steak sauce. It is the steak sauce uh, of the cameras. <laughs> it really is. And I hate to admit it, but I, I really am happy that Nikon and Canon jumped on the mirrorless train because yeah. I think that's what it's going to take to get that kind of like legacy generation, for lack of a better word, to totally. to embrace the technology. Because, you know, if you've shot for 30 years with a DSLR and you're used to that tactile sensation and the the optical viewfinder. I could understand like <laughs> Olympus and Sony look really scary. So yeah, I think the fact that Canon like fully embraced it uh, is it's, you know, that's the future now. Now, did you have like a photography background at all? Or were you just kind of just like you said, you just picked it up as a hobby and then it turned into something? 
Um, yeah, just kind of picked it up as a hobby and it turned into something. I, like I said, I'm an obsessive cool. researcher. I love to like Google things and learn them. And so that was just the thing I would do. I would like in my free time for fun would read about photography and, you know, compositional rules and different gear. And then I was fortunate. I lived in Boulder, Colorado. So there was a hiking trail, like a 10 minute drive from my house. So no shortage of practice opportunities. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, just, you know, it was kind of easy, I guess. <laughs> well, well, yeah, you lived maybe not a- easy. <laughs> it was just <laughs> convenient, I should say. It was like a lot of work still, well, but you, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it seems like you had a, you obviously, I mean, looking at your images now and, and seeing your journey throughout the years, like you obviously have a talent for it. And it's cool when you kind of discover if sort of the thing that you, maybe you were put on this planet to do, you know, maybe you didn't do it your whole life or, or you didn't even like know it was a thing. But once you kind of find it, it's like, oh, you know, it's just really fulfilling, creative energy that kind of happens. It's pretty cool. So. Yeah, I'm I actually was thinking about that the other day. I've been doing it for like 8 years now and I'm 0% bored. Like I still get really <laughs> excited. It doesn't even feel like work. I just am like happy yeah. to use my camera. It's really fun, which is very fortunate. Well, yeah, I mean that sounds like you found the right uh, career path then. I mean, what was the the path you think you would have gone down if you didn't find photography? Were you going to school for anything in particular? <laughs> Yeah, I got my degree in environmental science and uh, biochemistry from the University of Colorado. And I was working as a field scientist for a couple of years, mm-hmm. um, which was what I thought I wanted to do, like kind of help make the environment better and maybe like push humanity into a more sustainable direction. And uh, that job ended up being not what I thought. I was doing groundwater research okay. um, and it ended up basically... I don't really want to throw anyone under the bus, but my boss found out he could make a little extra money by helping the oil companies sort of evade EPA regulations oh rather gosh. than, yeah. you know, the exact opposite of that, which is what I wanted to do with my career. So, <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. I mean, you could, that's a whole like uh, thing of weeds that you could go down about the industry as a whole, right? <laughs> and politics. Totally. And yeah. That. I was like, I want to clean up contamination. And then, you know, the oil companies were like, we'll pay you twice as much to say that you already cleaned it up. And it was like, <laughs> you know, I mean, I like, I kind of get where wow. my boss was coming from. It's like a lot of extra money, but that wasn't what I was there for. So I quit that yeah. job. I used my water science degree to work at a brewery for uh, a couple of years, Ooh, that's which was way more fun, but paid way less. <laughs> that's really fun though. <laughs> so when, yeah. when was that moment when, I mean, you mentioned that you started selling prints, like when, when did you start making money with photography and was there kind of like a realization moment for you that was like, holy cow, this really could be my job. Yeah, it was actually, uh, I was on a hike in Rocky Mountain National Park with a friend. And I just took a, a photo of them standing on a rock and uh, they were wearing an Osprey backpack uh-huh. and Osprey shared it on their Instagram, which back then was like a huge deal. It was back yeah. in the day when, you know, a feature account sharing your work actually mattered. And so I was super <laughs> excited about that. And one of my friends was like, you know, you should probably ask for some money for that. Um, and I was too scared to ask them for it. But I emailed a couple brands that were close to me and shockingly Sierra Designs actually uh-huh. just commissioned me for some photos. Oh, well. You know, they're like, take our tent out, take some photos of it. We'll give you a thousand dollars. I was like, oh my gosh, a thousand dollars. That's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, and so yeah. that was kind of the realization. I was like, I get to make a thousand dollars going camping on the weekend. <laughs> did you start, um, did, you know, did you start diving in? You said that you love kind of researching stuff and sinking your teeth into things. Did you start researching kind of social media strategies and stuff back then? Or was it just too early? I mean, eight years ago, things were very different uh, on Instagram. 
uh, and there wasn't as much documentation on how to grow and how to like turn into a business. But was that something that you were thinking about the Instagram social media route or was it more of just working with brands and, and providing content for their platforms? Yeah, I did think about it for sure. Um, I didn't obsess about that as much because I always kind of pushed back against the idea of being an influencer. Mm-hmm. And like to this day, I'll, I'll make sponsored posts because uh, they pay the bills, but I never want to be an influencer. I want to be a photographer who maybe has enough like clout to, to <laughs> pay the bills with it if, if need be, so to speak. So sure. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I looked into it because I think expanding the audience helps your career, but it never was like the the driving passion for me. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing that here, I'm going to share my screen. I turned it off for a second because it was, I wanted to make sure we weren't distracted, but, um, but yeah, one of the things that just stands out to me about your work is just the composition and and the balance and the perfect, the perfectness of it. It's just everything's so crisp and, um, and just vibrant, but not overly edited or, um, false, if you will. Like I just pulled up this image here from North Cascades National Park. And it just looks like to me, if I was there with you, I feel like that's probably what my brain would remember or what I would see. That may not be reality. That might be a little more vivid than it actually was or uh, whatever. But is there an intentionality behind the 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 way that you edit and the way that you shoot to keep it as natural as, as possible. Obviously there's so many different styles out there and so many different creators out there. Um, many of them have their own kind of look. How did you get to this point to where you have this consistent look, but it's also not like overly graded if you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it just comes, like I said, I, I just love nature and being outside. Like my entire life has been that, you know, I grew up at a, yeah. a house in the mountains I went to school for nature, more or less. Um, <laughs> You're a nature I've man. Always been, yeah, totally. It's just like the thing that makes me happy is being outside uh, and far away from people. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think it just kind of like naturally happened. You know, I, I love some of the really cool like uh, compositions and like the artistic, like digital art that we see people doing where they'll take like 10 different photos and merge them in a way that could never happen in nature. It's really cool. Nothing against it, but my job or my goal has always been to kind of capture the feeling of being there. You know, like when you're, like you were saying, North Cascades national park, that photo or this one here in, in Washington, like it feels so good to be there. You know, like you can, you just did a big hike. You have like the endorphins going from that. You can feel the breeze and the warm sun. And there's just like this really magical feeling. And so I want to try and capture how that feels and how it looks. And so I always try to edit it to like, look good, (laughs) like have colors and stuff, but yeah, I'm never trying to like overly create something that wasn't there. And I would imagine too, like if I were there with you watching you shoot, I would imagine that your your shooting posture is similar to that as well. Like you're really just there soaking it up. You're not like creating a false environment or a false um, setting. Now there are some images here where you have a subject in the in the frame. Um, so obviously yeah. you're gonna say like, hey, stand over here. Now look off to your left. Look up at the sun. Right. You know. Hey, put your whatever whatever that stick thing is on your shoulders or whatever those, those are skis right <laughs> yeah those are skis yep. um so um obviously you can direct people in that way but 
you know, there's photographers that I've worked with along the years that like are very controlling the setting and, and doing all sorts of things to heighten the, uh, the image quality, if you will, or, or make it more extreme than reality. And again, I think your shooting posture, at least from hearing you talk and hearing your kind of overall perspective on things, I would imagine you're also just kind of in the moment shooting. Is that, am I right on that? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And you know, I'll move around and I'll like crouch down real low to like get a, a perspective that I want or like this photo, you know, use big telephoto compression to kind of yeah. make the scene look more dramatic than it maybe is in real life. But uh, you're totally right that I'm not trying to falsely manipulate anything. <laughs> totally. I love that, man. So, I mean, a lot of people who are watching this who maybe are just now discovering you and seeing some of these images that we're referring to and just like just gobsmacked by the beauty of them. I mean, these are just <laughs> I mean, look at this. Holy cow. This polar bear um, shot. This could easily be the cover of any nature magazine. Um, I don't know the backstory on this one. Maybe it was. Um, <laughs> but uh, how did you get to this point? I mean, <laughs> did you did you have mentors in your life? Did you? you know, do anything specific to, to teach yourself how to get to this point? Or is it just a lot of trial and error and, and time and effort in the, in this game? Just a lot of time and effort. I think, honestly, I mean, you know, my dad, like I said, being in the media, he had a camera my whole life growing up. Um, he was in radio, so it wasn't like a professional photography kind of a thing, but, um, you know, he would tell me a lot of things as a kid, you know, like he, he mentioned at one point, like, you know, I have this tree branch in the front. I have this very vivid memory of him, talking about how he framed a shot with like a tree branch out of focus in the foreground to give it some depth of field. Yeah. And I remember being like, you know, I was like seven years old and I remember thinking like, I literally could not care less about this right now, <laughs> but it clearly like stuck in my brain. <laughs> you yeah. know, you're seven and your dad's like, this is called aperture. You're like, who cares? I want to play with a stick. Um, <laughs> totally. But I do remember like when I picked up my camera, I remember subconsciously like putting a tree branch in the foreground. So there was some depth of field and I was like, Oh dang all that stuff I heard like kind of soaked in. So I didn't really have any direct mentors, but I do think it was uh, maybe sort of a slumdog millionaire kind of thing where like all these random scattered experiences through my life kind of mm -hmm. collide for, uh, for the photography career that I have. So let's talk about light side up, um, which is a film that you made. Um, it says 18 weeks ago. So back in January, uh, I'm going to pull it up here so that we can, uh, look at it together. Tell okay, me about cool. the process of this film and like how you got it and like how it all came to be. And by the way, we'll link it in the show notes, of course, so that you can watch it as well. I'm going to mute it. I don't know how the thing works here, but unbelievable <laughs> film that is like, I would imagine it took a long time to kind of uh, put all this together and organize everything uh, for this. Just tell me about the process of light side up. Yeah, um, that was a little over a year from concept to execution, and it took um, it took way more of my time trying to figure it out than I was anticipating initially. Um, it kind of started. I was I was at a Sony event actually, and I was I was talking to one of the like high up executives, and um, then a good friend of mine who works at B and H, and they were talking about uh, my Northern Lights photography, and they really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I mentioned that like you know I always shoot it from the ground and so i want to try and like climb a mountain to try and get a shot from really high elevation i thought that would look really cool yeah and there just happened to be a hot air balloon at this event and i i looked over at that hot air balloon and i was like oh that's how you do it i don't have to climb a mountain in alaska in january <laughs> um and being the like 
obsessive nerd that I am, I basically like, we were at a, a big party and I just like stood in the corner staring at the ground and thinking for the next hour. I was like, okay, how can you possibly do this? <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, yeah, like months and months of research, uh, I spoke with a, you know, a couple aerospace engineers, um, read a bunch of like scientific journal articles about payload stabilization. You can see there this styrofoam cooler that has a Sony a7S III and it has like you know, four carbon fiber rods extending off of it that are tethered to the balloon. And that's for stabilization purposes. And wow. it's a lot of math calculating the the payload lift that we needed to get the right burst altitude. Yeah. Um, it took, yeah, a lot of, lot of research, but I guess for those who haven't seen the film, I should maybe also preface uh, the general concept is that we sent a Sony a7S three up in a weather balloon <laughs> to 122,000 feet. Uh, so from the stratosphere and we filmed the Northern Lights in 4K for, to our knowledge, the first time Wow, that that's happened. Unbelievable. I mean, first off, the congrats or kudos on the like idea of, in of itself. Like who Thank comes you. up, who comes up with that? I mean, it, it's brilliant. <laughs> um, and I don't want to like, yeah, I don't, I'm kind of skipping to the end here because, uh, that's okay. Yeah. You can, you can show a couple of the shots. Of I don't want to give it away there. too much. Um, but yeah, I mean, holy cow. Yeah, I'm not going to show anymore because you have to go watch it yourself, okay. uh, <laughs> viewer. <laughs> but holy cow. I mean, to be able to see the Northern Lights in that way. I mean, the Apple TV has like a screensaver thing where like every once in a while it'll show like there's a satellite feed, I think, from the, the space station. And you can see the Northern Lights from that angle, which that in of itself is really cool. Um this is kind of like in between ground and space station. Like this is really incredible, man. Science is amazing. Isn't it? Like, How does that even, oh, I just, it's so cool. It's so cool. How something that is just happening, happening naturally is just so beautiful, you know? Yeah. Um, the Aurora specifically, I think it's like the single most beautiful natural phenomenon I'd have, I've ever seen. Um, I think that tops the list for like everything in nature. How many times have you, uh, like seen it? <laughs> oh man. We've got a lot of photos of it. So yeah, it's been a, a bunch of times now I've, uh, I teach a, <laughs> a workshop in Norway every year. So wow. I find myself up there every February and I go to Alaska as often as I can. It's they're, they're unbeatable, you know? Yeah. It's just so cool. And they're different every time, which I think is also cool. It's not like a, a Milky Way shot where you can line it up and you know, what's going to happen. It's more like, yeah predicting the weather like trying to chase a storm so it could be in one part of the sky it could be in another it's it's really fun wow so you teach in norway if anybody's interested uh go check it out because that would be that would be a blast to to take that <laughs> course you just got to make sure you bring a lot of warm clothes i would assume <laughs> yeah yeah it's actually like so we're we're way above the arctic circle and it's in february early february and it's surprisingly not as cold as you'd expect it's like high 20s low 30s fahrenheit okay yeah um, i've been the, in worse yeah in the north atlantic current keeps it yeah oh alaska okay. is so much colder yeah. <laughs> in the winter yeah i was out there in february Definitely. i was like up by russia in february and it was like negative 20 or something you know so oh yeah no, I was just going to say, when did things start kind of just unleashing for you career-wise and, and the traveling just start to pick up and get crazy? Obviously, this last year, I would imagine things slowed down a little bit. But um, overall, yeah. like I would imagine there was a point where you kind of, I don't know, if there was there an image that kind of went viral or was there something that just kind of 
clicked off that caused you to just start traveling the world and doing all these crazy trips and stuff? Um, honestly, not really. That's a pretty common question, I guess. And there wasn't really a, like a, a make it or break it sort of a moment. It was sure. mostly like just a lot of grinding. Um, yeah. 2019 was the year I remember very clearly where like, I was officially like making the comfortable income kind of thing. 2018, I was still full time, but I was like making ends meet. 2019 was like, damn, I'm busy. <laughs> so <laughs> but awesome. again, I probably sent like 200 pitch emails, uh, you know, spent a lot of time organizing different trips and planning things out. So it was, it's not like work is just falling into my lap. And that's something sure. I like to reiterate a lot to new photographers. Cause they think that like, once I get 50,000 followers, I'll just constantly have clients coming to me. And it's, you know, there's a lot of competition. You just have to keep hustling. Well, let's talk about that because um, I think a lot of people may assume that, you know, it's like, hey, you know, Nate has 128,000 followers. So of course he's busy, right? But it doesn't work that way. Like you're getting work because of the hustle. Not only are you a great photographer, that is obviously an important key ingredient is being actually good at what you do. But the other ingredient is the business side. So tell me about that and tell me yeah. how, how you run your business and how you, um, you know, reach out to photo uh, not photographers, but how you reach out to brands and formulate those pitches. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a complicated question. That could be a full hour <laughs> discussion right in itself. That but, should be a um, course that you sell. Honestly, you don't have to give it all away. It really should be actually one of my friends, uh, Callum Snape, Cal Snape on Instagram. Uh, he actually just released an ebook about, pitching clients and how to land those gigs. Cal what? Uh, he's like one of my number, Snape, S-N-A-P-E. Cal Snape. He's like one of my ultimate oh, yeah. inspirations. Yeah, there he is. Yeah. Nice. Um, incredible photographer, super nice guy. And he just released an ebook all about pitching clients. Uh, and it's, it's fantastic. So yeah, everybody it's check really, out. yeah, it's great. It's just really all about having a good idea and following through on like, you kind of have to showcase the client that you have a concept that's fleshed out beyond just like, I want to take photos for you. Yeah. Um, you know, cause myself included, a lot of people start sending those emails and it's just like, hello, you make backpack. I wear backpack. Can I take photo of backpack? And they get probably a hundred of those a week. So like, yeah, you're not even going to get a response. And to be fair, I wouldn't respond to that email either. Um, that was kind of a tough lesson to learn because I would be like, oh, so productive this week. I spent, I sent 75 emails and I would get maybe one response from somebody who'd be like, yeah, we can send you a free backpack, but like, cause that's just not a sexy email. Right. Yeah. Um, but if you can formulate a concept, like, um, you know, we went to Alaska and we backpacked across gates of the Arctic and it was like, this is the least visited national park by a wide margin. They have only like three to 5,000 visitors a year. Mm. Um, you know, they get less visitors in a decade than Yosemite gets in a week during the summer. Oh, wow. Um, so, <laughs> you know, and there's like, there's no roads there. There's no hiking trails there. So I have to take a bush plane in. They're going to drop me off literally 800 miles from the nearest town. We're going to be all by ourselves for a week. And then we have to send a GPS beacon for them to pick us up a week later. Good grief. You know, like that's a sexy <laughs> pitch, right? And so yeah. <laughs> I formulated that. I made a pitch deck with some like concept art, kind of a mood board, told them more about the project and what I was going to do. And, and then honestly, not super hard to find clients that want that because there are, for the year that we went there, that was in 2019, I bet probably only like 200 people went to that park. So like my competition wow. was very, very low. 
Yeah. And so that's the kind of thing. So I, I structured the whole trip around that. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of built it out from there. So I got Explore Fairbanks to uh, pay for the bush plane to fly us in and out, which, you know, saved us a couple thousand dollars right there. And then you can build out from there. And we ended up spending a month in Alaska. We went to four different national parks, shot for like six different clients. And that month in Alaska was like three months worth of income for when wow. we came home and edited. And so that's kind of how I approach it now is like having more interesting ideas that are a little bit more difficult and interesting um, than just, you know, cause like how many people have been like, I'm going to go to Iceland and I'll take photos of your red jacket. <laughs> like no company is going to pay for that because they have a thousand of those photos. So that's yeah, sort of how I approach it now. And obviously you have, um, you know, a great portfolio of work already. Um, if somebody doesn't have that, do you, you know, recommend people to just go out and I would, I would assume just go make it happen. I mean, before you were getting these types of jobs, you're doing it by yourself for free anyways, right? Yeah. You have to have something to show them that proves, you know, what you're doing. And I have a whole section on my website with, uh, commercial work with like people in them, because when you look at my Instagram, it's mostly landscapes and wildlife. Uh, and I want to showcase that like, I, I can take photos of, you know, people doing activities, products, et cetera. Yeah. And it's, it's mandatory. It's not even a good idea. Like you just have to, cause there's so many photographers, you know, if a company makes tents, you have to show them that you know how to photograph a tent because they probably have a list of 20 people that they've already worked with. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is, um, by the way, where is it? Just a gallery? Oh yeah. 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 A lot of people don't realize it, but you know, a lot of these photographers, a lot of people that we've interviewed on this show, their Instagram is really, it is more of just a personal social media, you know, strategy to build your social following and, you know, everything's four by five, you know, not, yep. not, a, not landscape anything. But the reality is in a commercial world, you need to be able to do all those things if, if not mostly, you know, things that wouldn't necessarily be hot on Instagram. Uh, a yeah, lot of times exactly. you, you kind of have to, yeah. So you know, formulate a portfolio on your site that that is more geared for this type of work, um, and then continue to play the uh, the social media game on Instagram. Yeah. Yep, that's exactly right. Totally. These and are great shots. I've also yeah. thank you. I've I've seen some success with like putting together a media kit, um, but a generic media kit also it'll never be as good as a pitch deck, like project specific. Mm-hmm. You know, the media kit is good if you are like I want to be your photographer. you know, like all the time. Um, that's good stuff. But for an actual project concept, I put together a a pitch deck that's more specific and have some of your photos in there, but you can even have a mood board from like free photos you find on, on Google that just showcase the concept that you're trying to, to bring to life. So you, you call yourself a cinematographer and obviously this film was, you know, a video. Did you edit that? Do you have like filmmaking as well as part of your kind of overall package do you do commercial projects for uh, clients as well for video i do yeah yeah and i did all the editing on light side up yep okay yeah that's what i was i mean obviously you're in it so i didn't you know you can't shoot all of that obviously but um i didn't yeah. like are, is that something that you want to do more of as well or is it just kind of like half and half or like I think it's interesting when photographers kind of split, you know, video and photo. Um, Yeah. I think it's a nice like storytelling mechanism. Um, You know, photography is really cool and it's a great way to like freeze a moment. And I Mm -hmm. think video is a fun 
next step beyond that where the moment is not frozen. And so you have to think a little bit totally bigger and try and showcase and capture like an experience more than just an instant. I've really been enjoying the transition. I'm not going to say that I'm good at it yet, but um, <laughs> it's it's been another fun learning experience. It's also very expensive, which uh, was kind of a wake up call for me. Everyone <laughs> thinks photography is expensive, but video is a whole different game. Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it is, and yeah, you have to think about audio, and um, you know the the type of editing is so different. Um, you can't really listen to music while you edit video, you know, uh, or a podcast. Yeah. Whereas when you're in Lightroom editing photos, you can listen to a podcast. You know, I'm always jealous of photographers for that. <laughs> I know, totally. I uh, I've been editing some video stuff in the last couple of days, and same thing. I keep getting invited to clubhouses and stuff, and I'm like, there's just no possible way I can listen to <laughs> seven people talk yeah. <laughs> while I'm trying to edit a video. You just can't do it. It's true, man. You still using Clubhouse? I stopped. I think I haven't opened it in like two or three months. <laughs> I've never enjoyed it, to be honest with you. It's just not. It's not my thing. It was so quite a. I'll quite get a hot on there occasionally thing. if somebody. It was quite hot back in yeah, January. It February. really blew up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's. I think in the NFT space, people are still kind of clinging <laughs> on to it, but. Yeah. I just. I'm not an auditory person. I'm a very visual learner, mm-hmm. and I also like you know we were just talking about I'm, I'm busy, and so. <laughs> it sucks when, you know, somebody's like, oh, at 1 p.m., we're going to just get in there and talk for three hours. You know, like, I can't possibly do that. So <laughs> totally. I still prefer things like Twitter where I can, you know, at 9 p.m. when I'm done for the day, I can like sit on the couch and catch up on things. Exactly. Clubhouse, you just can't. You have to like dedicate the time. What were some of the big kind of mistakes that you've made along the way? Give me, give me a couple of, yeah. you know, stories that you could share that you've learned from that can maybe help someone else starting out. Um, I think, well, that's a good question. I mean, not lining up contracts. I did a lot of like in good faith work initially, um, Mm. just because I like, I guess I was just very innocent about companies taking advantage of freelancers. What do you mean? Just like, can you elaborate on that? What do you mean by that? Yeah. And there wasn't, I would want to like preface, there wasn't anything like super nefarious. It wasn't like somebody, you know, tried to destroy my life or something, but just, you know, companies (laughs) saying like, Hey, take some photos and we'll pay for them. And I'd be like, cool. I trust you. Uh, and then you'd send the photos and they'd be like, nah, we changed our mind. You know? And you're like, well, dang, I just spent like four days taking these photos. I spent $200 on gas. Oh my God. That kind of sucks. So, I, you yeah. know, and I, I think a lot of new photographers go through that. So uh, now like contracts for everything, um, unless it's like a really, you know, familiar client, like there's a couple clients I've worked with. 20 times and like now you know they'll call me and be like we need a photo by next week and i'll just go do it because i know they're good for it but um in general yeah always contracts that was like probably my biggest mistake when i was first getting (laughs) started and then like licensing agreements kind of that falls into the same category yeah i would just be like here's the photos that you paid for have fun i didn't realize you're supposed to do like a one-year license and then if they want to use it for the next year they have to buy it again so i i have some photos that Somebody paid a hundred dollars for a single photo and they have an unlimited license forever because I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a huge one. And that's something being a video person. I don't, you know, I don't know that at all. Um, I would assume that a, a business course of some sort on this type of stuff would, would really help people out to learn these types of things. Yeah. That's a great idea. You should do would. It. <laughs> I should honestly do a Skillshare um, uh, course or something. Definitely. Yeah. 
that'd be a tough one to make not like super boring but maybe that's just the reality um i'm actually studying for my part 107 drone license right now and it's oh sweet yeah maybe like the most boring videos i've ever watched in my entire <laughs> life but it's like just important stuff you know <laughs> yeah totally my buddy uh jevin dovey he actually he needed to get the license for a shoot that he was doing in like two days and so oh. he he crammed all in one day he took the test and he passed in uh, 24 hours. <laughs> wow. That must have been like the worst 24 hours of his life. Yes, he said it was. Yeah. <laughs> he was just cramming like crazy. And uh, yeah, it was gnarly. But he already had a ton of experience as a operator. He just oh, okay. te technically wasn't, you know, licensed. So, but that uh, helps. I th there's a couple like tests that you can take online, right? I, I think some quizzes yeah. and stuff. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing an online course where it's like very thorough. So it's probably more in depth than I need to just pass it. But I want to make sure I actually know the stuff. But yeah, there's yeah. a ton of practice courses online and stuff where you can just take the tests and see how much you know. I have the uh, the Mavic Pro 2 uh, right now. I would actually love Sony's coming out with they're calling it the Air Peak. Yeah, but it's like a full size drone meant to carry full size cameras. And that was sort of one of the impetus for me to get this because I, I love flying my Mavic. And, ah. It's just like cool photos and I just do them for fun, obviously, uh -huh. but it, there is a huge commercial market for it, first of all. But the thought of sending up like my my A1 and taking aerial photos that are 50 megapixels just sounds awesome. So totally. I'm looking forward to it. You may have an NDA agreement right now that you're not telling us about. So <laughs> I'll just brush over that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I can tell you I don't because since I'm not licensed, I didn't qualify for okay. any of the early testing on that, obviously. But <laughs> yeah, but hopefully. you want to be ready when it's ready. <laughs> that's um, exactly right. Yeah. Because, you know, when it comes out, they're going to need content. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. Throughout this interview, you've talked about Sony a couple of times and uh, on all your platforms, it says that you're a Sony ambassador. Uh, so tell me about that kind of collaboration with Sony and what made you make the switch over to Sony and uh, how you've enjoyed uh, that world in the Sony Alpha land. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so when I had that Olympus that we talked about, there was a like very specific day when I wanted to take a shot and the camera just wasn't quite up to par. Um, you know, it was like very early mirrorless technology, which was, yeah. it was kind of exciting for me. I was like, wow, I, you know, my whole time I've been trying to improve my skills to like use this camera to its full potential. And finally my potential is exceeding the capabilities of my camera, which is cool. So I, you know, I was, I was making like $14 an hour. So saving up for a real camera was a, a yeah. huge decision, but, um, I started researching and, you know, I was a little bit torn between Nikon, Canon and Sony. But mm -hmm. I really enjoyed mirrorless and I really was, this was like the original a seven. And I think they had just come out with the a seven too. Yeah. And I, I kind of just recognized that that was like where things were heading. You know, I was like, I don't want to make a MySpace program or profile when Facebook <laughs> is coming out kind of a thing. Yeah. And so, you know, um, I went with the new like up and comer at the time and I don't regret it. It was really, it was a fun switch to go full frame i had a huge debate if i was going to go to full frame or stick with crop sensor because i do so much hiking and so much like backpacking but um i got to give props to jimmy chin seeing him climb everest with two nikon d810s really <laughs> sold me on <laughs> yeah it's not that the camera gear is too heavy it's just that you're too weak i guess <laughs> is kind of the outlook yeah so totally. I, I went full frame i got the a7 too and um wow yeah nice. I, 
it's a big you purchase know, just for just you kind at of the tagged time. them on instagram a bunch and it was yeah um i actually also i'll never forget my boss saw my new camera i brought it into work um to like take some photos i was you know i was making beer so i was like this is kind of a fun place to take some photos of and uh, my boss was like, whoa, we're paying you too much if you can afford that. And I was like, this was like three weeks of my salary, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I actually I think that comment was like the reason I. Yeah, I was, that comment was like the reason I started thinking about quitting my job to do photography. Oh, wow, I was like, yeah. you think that me having a thousand dollars of spending money? Because like it wasn't that much money. Right. And I was like, if if you don't want your employees to have a thousand dollars of extra money, like, whoa. So. <laughs> Yeah, I think all of us have had those types of experiences in non-creative fields for sure. Um, I know growing up, I grew up in the South. I'm from uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And so um, oh, cool. I kind of grew up around a lot of people who didn't relate to my desires as an artist or whatever. And often, you know, got teased a little bit for it. And, you know, people didn't really understand how you can make money with it. And uh, it's funny, those types of moments do kind of put a chip on your shoulder to like kind of prove everybody wrong, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. It's <laughs> it's so satisfying now, like in retrospect. <laughs> Without being a jerk uh, about you know, it. I, <laughs> totally. Actually, that brewery that I used to work at, they just a couple uh, months ago approached me a photo that I took while I worked there. They uh -huh. wanted to like, put it in some print advertisements. And uh, I think they almost fell out of their chair when I told them what it would cost to license. Cause it was like, you know, the one year license was like a month of the salary they were paying me. They were like, <laughs> no possible way. And I was like, it's not that I'm expensive. It's that you're cheap. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, it felt very good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things, so I don't know if you're familiar with, with my background, but I was a, a gear reviewer on YouTube for the last three years. I hosted a channel called Kinetica, oh, nice. and then I was the host of Indie Mogul, which is a big filmmaking uh, review, you know, tutorial channel. And so I've had a lot of experience totally. reviewing cameras. And the thing that's been really amazing to see with Sony is that out of all the companies, I feel like Sony has really actually been listening to the users and has been adding features and doing things to the cameras that we've been like pining for from Canon and Nikon for years. And it's only now that I feel like Canon is even at all catching up. But even then, they still kind of like will handicap their cameras a little bit to kind of save their higher end, you know, cinema cameras or in Nikon's case, I feel like they just don't have the, you know, they just don't have the money to probably push their cameras the way that they wish they could. Um, I'm sure being with Sony for the, how long have you actually been uh, an ambassador for Sony? I think it's been about four years now. Okay, so yeah, in four years, there's been a huge shift. I mean, the A7S three, the huge. A7R four, the new A1, um, all these types of cameras are really just pushing the envelope when it comes to both photo and video specs. And then obviously adding features like a flip screen for video shooters or um, raw, mm -hmm. you know, raw HDMI out to an Atomos recorder for video, and um, giving us all sorts of different accessories that you can put on the hot shoe that give you XLR inputs for video. And, uh, I can only think about it in a video sense cause I'm a video guy, but, uh, totally, yeah. the, the crazy <laughs> high megapixel count, you know, for these cameras to, to get these crazy images. I mean, 
how has it been working with them and seeing that, um, you know, these last four years, do you agree that they're like actually making changes and tweaks along the way for working professionals out there? Yeah, definitely. And it's not just like your perception. They genuinely do care about that, uh, which is really cool. They do that annual get together, uh, called condo and it's, you know, yeah. it's, uh, the first couple days are just the ambassadors. It's all the artisans and the alpha collective. And then it opens to the public for the last few days. And, um, it's not just like, they're not just casually listening. They literally fly all of the engineers in from Japan and you can schedule a one-on-one -on -one sit down. And I've, uh, you know, I've seen people go in there and be like, what the hell's with this grip? <laughs> and then, you know, like the next iteration comes out and the grip's a little bit bigger. And, um, yeah. I was complaining about the location. The old record button used to be on the side on like the A7R2 yeah. and the it was, A7II. It was really and awkward. You would like push hit it. it. Yeah. Yeah. And you'd like sometimes hit it with your thumb while you're just holding the camera. So you'd go to take a photo and you'd find out it had been recording video for three minutes, like just of the ground. And you're like, oh. And I was just casually mentioning that to a friend. And I like turned around and there was this like Japanese man writing down notes about everything <laughs> we were complaining about. And he like literally it went into their like design concepts for it's really, really cool. I like, I'm so fortunate um, that there's a company that like listens to that feedback because it makes the cameras so much better to use. And honestly, the stuff in this new a one, it like, they have things in there. I never would have thought to do like, you can, you can do a variable frame rate so that it doesn't uh, interfere with like the flicker rate of, of fluorescent lights. Oh, so wow. like you can record a video at like 26.3 frames per second if the the CFLs in the room you're in are like causing flicker or banding, which is I didn't realize unbelievable. That. That's super yeah. cool. Um, and they'll even if you're on like a 30 frames per second burst, it will read that flicker rate in the room and it will specifically time the shutter fires to be at peak brightness of your lighting. It's just it's crazy. Well, yeah, it's for unbelievable. Uh... For $6,500, I would hope that it can do more than I mean, uh, your normal camera, right? <laughs> but Totally. But, you know, you know it, it wasn't that long ago, and you're paying that money for, like, a 1DX, not to throw Canon under the bus, no, but, like... Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think that... I mean, that's why it's priced at that point, is because that is kind of the barometer for what a flagship costs. And what Sony's been doing is they've been adding features that no other companies. Uh, have done at all um, because let's be honest they they make the sensors for everybody else so um, it's kind of like yes yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like how it's not the same as like Samsung and Apple um, because Apple is obviously bigger than Samsung well I don't know maybe it is similar like Canon is still the most popular camera brand still by a pretty large margin yeah but um, Sony like Samsung makes the screens for iPhones and Samsung makes more money from Apple than they do selling their own uh, phones, which is a funny thing that a lot of people don't realize. Um, yeah, totally. And I, I would imagine that Sony may make more money also selling their sensors to other companies. Like even I think the iPhone like has a Sony sensor in it, and yeah. you know Olympus, Nikon, Fuji, every other ca every camera except Canon uses a Sony sensor in it. That's why Canon has just notoriously been like 
different, you know, their color science and people are, are like stuck on the whole Canon color science thing. Uh, but it's because they have the, they're the only other company that makes their own sensors. So it, it's an interesting yeah. world when you get into that stuff. But I think that's why Sony's always like, it feels like Sony's two or three steps ahead of the whole industry because they're kind of saving the best stuff for themselves. And then they kind of like slowly <laughs> start filtering it off to all the other companies like Nikon and, you know, Fuji and stuff. Um, it's pretty fascinating yeah. when you get into that world. And uh, Sony- they swear that oh, they swear that the sensor department uh, is like totally isolated. They like they promise that they don't do that. But uh, I mean, yeah, you have to <laughs> you can't argue with the results. The sensors and the cameras are pretty outrageous. Well, there's a company that does x-ray scans of the sensors and they have the word Sony on every sensor. So, I mean, totally. Yeah. <laughs> but well, yeah, it just it's... Mean they swear they don't like withhold the best technology for themselves. Oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah, anybody, yeah. Sure. anybody who buys a sensor from them has access to like the, the peak. But I mean, yeah, it's also like one of those benefits, I think, of just being such a big company, you know, like they, they oh, yeah. make the PlayStation uh, <laughs> yeah, they and make... they make TVs and all sorts of stuff. So their exactly. R&D budget is astronomical yeah exactly yeah. canon uh no, i makes mean kind of like olympus with their go ahead <laughs> it's kind of like olympus with their like medical imaging you know they they're kind of downgrading or discontinuing the like consumer cameras because they just they make so much money from medical imaging that they kind of were like we don't really need to worry about regular cameras anymore <laughs> yeah i they did sell it off to some japanese uh company that i i think is gonna hopefully continue the brand uh but yeah they, mm -hmm. they sold it off and um yeah like canon makes more money selling printers and medical equipment than than cameras you know it's only a third of their their business motto so um i believe it but yeah, it, it, it's it's really exciting times if you're a photographer or videographer because all these cameras are incredible. Um, what was it for you when you got the A7S? I'm sure you're pretty stoked about the A7S III when you got a hold of that one. <laughs> it's it's pretty wild. I uh, I was filming video in like pitch black at um, 102,000 ISO. Yeah, <laughs> and like that number still doesn't make sense in my mind. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and it looks pretty good. I mean, you know, it looks like you're at high ISO, but it doesn't look like a hundred thousand ISO. You'd expect that to just look like trash. It's pretty incredible. You can see stars and they're still like filming in full color. It's amazing. I'm actually curious, uh, because I, I obviously, inter I interview a lot of videographers on this show and almost every single one of them has switched to either the a7S three or the new FX three. Um, mm -hmm. but I haven't really talked to many photographers that use the A7S 3 for photography. Do you find yourself not gravitating to it, even if it might make sense in a low light scenario because of the resolution? Um, yeah, that's kind of a limiter for me, honestly. I've taken a couple astro photos with it. Um, and so it, it takes great still photos, of course, but they are only 12 megapixels. Um, it's kind of hard to say like i'm not a huge believer in like resolution is king necessarily but it is kind of tough if you have zero ability to crop <laughs> afterwards <laughs> or you know yeah. you can only print a certain size so yeah. yeah have you seen the new photoshop uh resolution enhancer thing that just came out it looks pretty amazing it it does yeah i think that has has some potential i actually for some reason it can't work on my computer and i haven't figured out I also just haven't taken the time to troubleshoot it. I got like an error code when I tried to use it <laughs> okay. and uh, it wasn't that important. So I was like, okay, whatever. Um, but <laughs> yeah. from what I've seen, it's 
really cool. It's I'm excited to play with that because I've seen a lot of people actually say that the A7S III is now the best all around camera since we have that super resolution option. That's literally like when I saw that for the first time, I was like, this is what we've been wanting for years like in all the 90s like sci-fi movies or like any of the (laughs) any of the born identity movies it's like zoom in on that image enhance it's like enhance nothing (laughs) like there's nothing in reality that actually enhances (laughs) like that (laughs) uh i guess now we're getting there now we're getting AI made it possible it's really pretty amazing. Um, yeah, for, for YouTubers, for, for us lowly YouTubers and uh, videographers out there, 12 megapixels is is more than enough because 4K is only 8 megapixels. So, um, yep. you know, uh, to be able to take an image every once in a while for a thumbnail or an Instagram post, 12 megapixels isn't that big of a deal. But if you're yeah. a working photographer and you're going into these places that are like once-in-a-lifetime uh, locations and you can't like tell the northern lights to cut let's do that again like you want to you want to make sure that you have the best of the best and i assume that's why you've gone into the a1 territory um has that camera pretty much just been your number one camera right now definitely without a doubt like to the point where i uh stared at my bank account angrily because i couldn't buy a second one (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's amazing uh, yeah. And especially for wildlife, honestly, that's where I really find the resolution pays off. Cause like that polar bear photo I shot on the a seven R four and you just don't want to be that close to polar bears. You know, that was a <laughs> 600 millimeter shot and I still cropped in and it, like the 12 megapixels is just literally a no for me in that scenario. Cause you, sure. you want to be close to the bear and you want to like see the details uh, but you don't want to get murdered. So and you, and, uh, high resolution really pays off for things like that. And you don't, you also don't want to carry around a freaking, you know, bazooka cannon lens, right? Like you don't want a, uh, a massive lens cause you're, you're hiking around. Right. So that, of yeah. course that makes well, sense for those actually, those were with the 600 millimeter F4. So I was hiking around with <laughs> <laughs> that huge bazooka, but you know, I think for a trip like this, like being on the ice with a wild polar bear is such a once in a lifetime trip that like, yeah. I'm okay if I'm exhausted at the end of the day, I just want to have the photo. Totally. I think, um, you know, it's crazy to think that so many photographers back in the day shot film with DSLRs with these massive lenses and they weren't even able to see what they took after they took it. You know, they were relying on so many things. Like, do, have you met other photographers that maybe come from that generation and have conversations with them about what it was like to do what you're doing now in like the 80s or 90s? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm friends with uh, Charles Glatzer, who's a Canon Explorer of Light. And he's one of those. He's been a professional photographer for 40 years now. Wow. And uh, I think he's very grateful to to just be able to like you know you push the buttons and you can review it on your screen it's amazing because i can't imagine how stressful it would be to have a once in a lifetime shot you push that shutter you hear the burst go and then you're just like well (laughs) sure hope that was right (laughs) yeah exactly i guess in a way it kind of contributed to the the magic and the skill of the art form too like from a 
National Geographic standpoint, you know, hiring these guys to go out and do this work, you know, you're hiring a really skilled technician, but you're skilled in a different way now too, with software, with uh, understanding all sorts of different algorithms and things, you know, with the camera and, and stuff. So it's a different skill set. Um, and then obviously, of course, compositionally, uh, understanding light and how light falls on subjects. I mean, these are all things that make you a skilled photographer not just the the tool uh, of course but um i do think about that like man it would have been crazy back in the day to just work with film and for me as a videographer like i've never oh. ever i've never shot film for video um i mean well that'd be impossible it'd be called film it'd be called cinema uh yeah you can't shoot you can't shoot video with film stock but anyways uh yeah, I can't imagine. Like walking around with a light meter all the time, you know, it'd be crazy. <laughs> totally. And just how expensive it would be to practice. You know, I probably took 10,000 photos just trying to figure out composition and shutter speed. Mm -hmm. That would have cost <laughs> me several hundred dollars if I was shooting film. I'm very, I'm so grateful that I could just like command a delete <laughs> all those photos. <laughs> What what do you what are your thoughts on Instagram? Like you obviously are active on it, you have a good following, um, but I don't sense like a passion for it in our conversation. Like, is it kind of just a thing that you feel you kind of have to do because you have to be on Instagram to be relevant, or is it something that is just a, another leg of your of your business? I mean, how do you look at social media for your work? Yeah, I used to love it. Um, it used to be like really fun to post photos and interact with people. And, uh, in the last like four years, they have done everything they possibly can <laughs> to make the experience worse for the people that built their platform. Um, you yeah. know, like they wouldn't be the, the platform they are today without content creators. And I don't mean just photographers, but like artists of all kinds, and they've done everything in their power to make it less enjoyable and less useful for us. <laughs> um, to the point where they even like intentionally limit your reach. If you say link in my bio. So like, if you try to even get people to go look at your own website, they limit the reach of your post so that fewer people <laughs> see it. And it's just, that's so selfish to me. I just don't respect it at all. Well, um, it doesn't surprise me because Facebook is behind it. Right. But yes, th I exactly. feel like there was, there was a period of time where like Facebook obviously owned it, but it still felt like, yeah, I don't have Facebook, but I have Instagram because Instagram's cool. And like, they haven't, they at least haven't destroyed it yet. And I feel like this last year, maybe just during the pandemic, like the app just got ruined. I don't, I don't understand yeah. what happened. Yeah. And it's just kind of a bummer. Cause if they would stop being selfish for a little bit, they could salvage it because like, you know, I upload a time-lapse and that video will get 150,000 views and I make $0, but Instagram will put an ad right below it and they make a ton of money off those views. Yeah. Whereas, you know, like if I got 150,000 views on a YouTube video, that's like a week of income there, you know, you make a couple hundred dollars. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's a reason that YouTube is the most viewed website on the entire internet. And I think it's because there's incentive for people to continue uploading, engaging in good content. And like, honestly, posting to Instagram is a chore now. I do it because I feel like I have to keep the channel alive, not because I care or have, want to. I'm curious. I mean, you're obviously friends with a lot of the people that I listed early on in the show that, that we've interviewed. Um, have you talked to your, your fellow colleagues, um, about this? Like, is there kind of a overall opinion on Instagram right now with all these types of people like yourself? Yeah, I think 
from what I've heard, the opinion I just expressed is pretty much unanimous in the industry, <laughs> honestly. Interesting. So yeah. they need to take the Sony route and have uh, some sort of Instagram engineer meeting up with all you guys, taking notes and uh, and changing things. I don't know. Yeah. If, if Mark Zuckerberg is in control, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. But Yeah, because I don't. I don't think that it is how it is because they're ignorant of this. I think they're fully aware of how we all feel. I think they just don't care, you know, like <laughs> I think that's like Darth what... Vader knew people would be sad when he blew up Tatooine, but he, Oh yeah, exactly. And he knew, yeah. he knew he would, he knew he was going to blow up Alderaan when, uh, Alderaan. Was... Oh my God. I said the wrong planet. Brian Maneer is going to be so mad at me. Was no, was... you're totally right. I thought you were referring to maybe something else, but I guess you're right. It was Alderaan. No, wasn't yeah, it? totally. I just had a brain fart there, but that still, was... You know, like he, he knew people were upset about Sorry. it, but he was going to do it anyway. That's Instagram. See, I'm I'm not much of a fan either because I thought when you said that, I was like, oh, he must know something I don't know. Like I didn't correct you. I just was like, oh, yeah, and also Alderaan because I, I'm, you know, I am a super fan though for sure, but not a crazy epic super fan to where you saying that was like a trigger for me. I, I wasn't aware that was incorrect. <laughs> cool. well, no, I appreciate it. That was just a, that was a huge error on me emotionally. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, what's the solution then? Are you, are you looking at YouTube as a solution or TikTok, anything like that? I mean, are you, I, I, you do seem to be active on Twitter, which is cool, but unfortunately Twitter for photographers isn't a really fertile ground either. I have a good friend, Drew Chanelli, Drew photo on Twitter. Do, are you familiar with him? Yeah. His work is amazing. Yeah. He's great. And, uh, he actually was my roommate for a couple of, uh, for about a year, almost, uh, about cool. two years ago, he, he stayed with me and my wife for not a year, about six months or so, but, um, he's a good friend and he loves Twitter and he hates Instagram. And when his Instagram like eclipsed his, uh, his Twitter following, he was like really angry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, yeah, actually, Twitter's getting better for it. They're accommodating, like they just allowed, you know, new photo crops per popular request. And they allow you to put links in your tweets and stuff, and they don't mess with you in that yeah. regard. So That's true. I do like that. And then I am on YouTube. I um, YouTube videos just take so much more work than like firing off an Instagram post. <laughs> so I, yeah. I struggle with like keeping up with it on a regular basis. But I need, I need to be better about it. I think that's a really great platform. Well, photography, TikTok is definitely a thing. I mean, have you been playing around with that at all? I haven't. I, I felt like I was too late to the game nah, by the time not. I like, you're not. Yeah, fair enough. I, I should probably just suck it up and get on there, but well, the how great many thing, social media platforms can you handle? You know, the great thing about the TikTok strategy, and I'm actually thinking about starting a new channel that is solely like strategized around a vertical 60 second TikTok strategy. The great thing about mm -hmm. it is right now, that is such a hot thing that every platform is pushing like crazy. So if you just make one 60 second TikTok centric type of video, you post it on TikTok, you post it on Snapchat, you post it on Instagram reels, and you post it on YouTube shorts. You have four yeah. platforms that you could post the exact same content on all four. And chances are, you know, if it's good content and you're a good creator and you're putting time and effort into it, if it doesn't blow up on TikTok, it will, you know, maybe it'll blow up on YouTube shorts. You never know. You know? Totally. Yeah, no, you're, you're totally right. But uh, also YouTube shorts just, I mean, I don't know if you looked at the YouTube app, app recently but they made that like they replaced the trending tab with uh with the youtube shorts tab now 
So yeah, I actually talking. just noticed that last night I opened the YouTube app and I was like, oh, what is this yeah. in beta there? Yeah, it's just kind of they're pulling an Instagram and putting uh, putting the shopping button right where everybody was used to pushing the <laughs> post button. Oh, so ridiculous. That's those. another one of those Instagram things where it's like you guys just don't. You don't care if we have fun on your app as long as you make money off of us. Yeah, it's like, what's the most used button on this app? Uh, the the create the create post app. Okay, let's replace that with the shopping button. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, I feel like Nate. I feel like we could probably rant about this for hours. Um, yeah. But it has been about an hour of of your time, and I really appreciate your time. Um, we'll have to have you on another time. Uh, I, I just said time like five. T- five times um, but nate the count was, continues <laughs> nate it was a pleasure having you on the golden hour podcast i hope to meet you one day in person maybe at a sony event or something i don't know that'd be awesome yeah but thanks yeah. for having me on this has been great absolutely everybody go check out nate on social media it's nate in the wild how'd you come up with that name by the way have you have you had it this whole time that you um so my my first instagram name was nate lubes just kind of making fun of my own last name, Luby. Um, yeah. And then when I hit 10,000 followers, I was like, I should take this serious and not make a lube <laughs> joke. And so uh, I spent like two weeks brainstorming a way to do like Nate Geo, uh-huh. but I couldn't find a way to write it that didn't look kind of weird. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I just went with Nate in the wild. It kind of has a good ring to it. Oh yeah. So. You and uh, you and Aaron outdoors can kind of like have your own little little thing, I guess. Danny the Explorer as yeah. well. Um, you know, what's funny is Aaron and I were, uh, really good, like in-person friends, uh, back like when barely either of us had an actual Instagram, we were, we were real life friends. And then we both <laughs> kind of got into photography nice. and Instagram separately. And it's been really funny. We're both Sony ambassadors now. It's like, yeah, yeah. We lived like two blocks from each other. It's oh, kind of wow. funny. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. She's great. We've had her on twice and uh, I'm sure you saw during the pandemic how she kind of like yeah. pivoted into this new niche, which is fabulous. She's done a great job with that. Yeah. With She's the- always been really inspirational. Like I just, I've never met anybody who works harder and is more like creatively minded. So it was yeah. awesome to see her just like explode during the, like she flourished. It was really cool to see. Totally. And that's why I had her on for a second time after she started doing the miniature stuff. And I think just, yeah, that kind of mentality of like, okay, something's happening in the world that's causing me to not work. Let's figure out a new thing. And she just kind of went for it. It was um, so cool. And then another guest of the show, uh, Chris Romes, his original name was Chris Poops. So I think he may <laughs> have you beat on the uh, the lubes, I guess, is pretty bad as well. But um, yeah, Poops and Lube, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> you guys got serious about it and changed your names. I understand. Yeah. But uh, that's uh, that's the first time I've been on a podcast and somebody said poops and lubes. <laughs> to me, so. Well, it won't be the last. Uh, thanks again, Nate, for being on the Golden Hour podcast. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, if you're ever in Nashville, hit me up. We'll get some hot chicken together, okay? Yeah. Oh, mm, I love the hot chicken. Hope you guys enjoyed my interview with Nate in the wild. Make sure to give him a follow on Instagram if you haven't already. His work is fabulous. Also head over to his website where you can potentially buy some of his prints. He sells prints that I think would look amazing in anybody's home. His photography is truly fabulous. Give him a follow. Let him know that you heard about him on this show. I was really honored to have him on and I can't wait to uh, see his career grow over the next couple of years and hopefully we'll have him on again. 
Once again, I'm your host, Dave Mays. This is the Golden Hour Podcast brought to you by the Polar Pro Studio. And we'll see you next week when we're joined with Zach Mayfield and Connor yet again with the new format of the Golden Hour Show.